RJ Barrett with a familiar backbreaking three. Jalen Brown with, unfortunately, some more backbreaking free throw misses. The Celtics, they drop their third in a row. The commiseration begins next on First of the Floor. It's going to be first to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. Brown drives, scoop, layup, off the glass. That's not the first time we've seen a superstar in green and white sacrifice the body. Hey, hey, welcome into another episode of First of the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well, which you surely are not after that terrible <laughs> performance by the Boston Celtics. Thank you for joining us. Uh, the Celtics drop this one, 120 to 117 against a fiery Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson. Joining us to talk all about it. Hot take Jake Eisenberg. Jake, how's it going, man? Going really good, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> going really good. Nothing bothering uh, how you. How about you? How about yourself? Oh, just fine and dandy. So, good. so good. Yeah, Feeling no good. worries, mate. Um, bit of a stinker by the Celtics mm. in that one. Um, the plan for this podcast is just to get together, ruminate, commiserate, as I said uh, in the beginning there, and just try and collectively get over what is now a three-game skid uh, and some very disappointing missed free throws by Jalen Brown at the end there. But, but Jake, that's not the full story, right? It didn't, you know... Those missed free throws, as disappointing as they were, are not the catalyst for this loss. There was a lot going into why we were <laughs> even in that position in the first place. What are your main takeaways from this one? Yeah, no, look, um, Jalen, you can't put it all on Jalen's missed free throws. He also missed seven three-pointers and 14. <laughs> oh, no, this is not all on Jalen. The whole team decided to not play defense for 37 five quarters. Mm -hmm. uh, and once they turned the defense on, lo and behold, they started to shut down Brunson and Randall. Tatum was as guilty as anybody. He was getting blown by everybody for a lot of this game. So that was it. It's the defense. And coming into this game, it was, okay, were the two losses against Orlando and Miami going to be just two losses because they were down players? Orlando plays like the 95 Bulls against us. You can chalk that up to the basketball gods. And the Miami one, you can chalk up to having four of your best players missing. Tonight, you had enough pieces, no question, to win this game. And we're going to get to how important Marcus Smart is at some point. But they looked past him. They looked past him. They underestimated Julius Randle. They underestimated Jalen Brunson. And it cost them because they got cooked all night long. And we sound like broken records. You know, anyone I think talking about this game is going to feel the same sense in evaluating it. And it's just more of the same as far as, you know, they came out lackluster. They'd had a couple of poor performances on the road, you know, coming off a, a, a scintillating win on the road up there in, in, in Toronto, pooing the bed, I'll say, to censor myself <laughs> in Florida. And then coming back and probably expecting a win coming home with some good energy there uh, in TD Garden. And uh, just a very lackluster effort and letting guys like Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, and credit to those guys, like they played hard, they played well, but there was a, a, a very notable lack of de defensive effort. And like you mentioned, they switched it on. They flipped the switch late in the fourth quarter, maybe halfway through the fourth quarter. And it was like, there they are. There's our Hi. buddies. There's the Celtics we know. Uh, but it was too little too late. And they put themselves in these dicey situations because late game execution, crunch time execution has not always been a strong point for like Jason Tatum, for example. We're talking about it in our playback stream, which, you know, I, I want to say that we had a lot of fun holding throughout the course of the game until, you know, the inevitable <laughs> occurred. We did we have fun. We did have fun. But, but the, you know, the, the Jason Tatum game winner um, opportunity there where he sort of took that Paul Pierce 
just right at the free throw line, pull up shot, missed. Low success rate for Tatum. It feels like, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but a low success rate for the Celtics in those situations. So like flipping the switch late, you're going to more likely end up in those situations, which you clearly don't succeed very often in. So just don't do that. I don't know. Am I, am I asking for too much here, Jake? I don't know. Maybe it was just you're getting reps. Let's play awful so we make sure that the game's closed down the stretch so we get, you know, we get more reps in these clutch situations because otherwise we're too good and we're going to win by too many points. That could have been a th- something that they decided to do for some reason. I have to believe that's what it was. <laughs> it's, so, it's, so, yeah, it's so frustrating because, you know, coming out of this game, I think if you're rational, you your thoughts and how much you believe in this team's ability to win a title should not be different to today. Agreed. To prior to the three games that they won, a lot I mean, to the three-game losing streak. Like, I think that should not have changed. It's just these guys have bad habits and it's the 82-game season. It's all of those things we've talked about before and you just don't know when they're going to snap out of it. And tonight was like, it was very... You know, reminiscent of the Pacers game. Our mate Jackson said it on the playback stream. This feels very reminiscent of the Pacers game. You, they played worse in the first half in the Pacers game and better for an entire half. They just didn't go to down by 30 in the Knicks game. So they didn't actually have to flip the switch until later. But it's, it's very similar in that, you know, they don't play the right way. They're not moving the ball on offense as much, stagnating and defensively. It's just not there um, outside of like, Robert Williams, who was, and the mistress, of course, who um, I thought at least fought all night, um, even if they did get beaten uh, a few times. Yeah, I would just, I'm just looking at, as you were talking there, Jake, at cleaning the glass, and it's a tale of two halves of the court. So the Knicks, uh, I don't want to say dominant in the half court possessions, but 98.9 points per play, uh, good for the top 57th percentile, so not particularly dominant. The Celtics, though, Good for the ninth percentile at 80 points per play. So, a huge disparity in half-court efficiency between the two teams. The Celtics, meanwhile, did quite well in transition, plus 10.3 points per possession. Good for 94th percentile, uh, you know, season-wide among all teams in transition. The Knicks, 22nd percentile at minus 0.8. So, the issue was there was just the frequency of our transition plays and the lackluster defense coming up until that point where they flipped the switch in the fourth quarter. But just... We weren't defending at a point where we could generate as many transition opportunities as we'd liked. We're obviously executing out of them efficiently, but we just couldn't create them enough. It's honestly impressive that the Celtics have the fourth best defensive rating in the league when they have what feels like so many of these games where they don't try on defense. And again, it's so frustrating because it's so obvious on the positive impact that it has on the offense and their ability to just win games going away. Like just play defense and you win these games easily. You probably get rest in the fourth quarter because it felt like that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to cheat their way to some rest. They wanted to cheat them way, cheat their way to an easy win. And this is the NBA. The Knicks have been good. The the talent in this league does not allow you to just like rock up and get an easy win. Mm -hmm. See it with the magic. See it tonight. Like Brunson's, Really freaking good. Randall having a really, really good year. You have to take these teams seriously. My dad in the chat, like, we see the defense when they crank it up. That's a championship level defense. 
they're now, what, two and a half games ahead um, for the one seed. Doesn't really feel like they care about winning the one seed when, when they churn up like they did today. Yeah. Shout out to Mr. Eisenberg in the chat, by the way. Thank you for joining us. Love, love the, the family affair we've got going on here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> one, one game ahead of the Sixers in the loss column now. So I think they're still up 2.5 games or whatever it might be. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, this is why you build the, the cushion, but the, the cushion is deflating, Jake. Like it's, it's getting away from us. <laughs> like, I feel like a week ago we were talking about how this was an insurmountable league in the first spot there or thereabouts for the Celtics. And like, it's, it's been surmounted. Right, like it's, yeah. it's yes. Well, here's the thing, though. It's like you know, my prediction is probably they have this little lull. Uh, they turn up big against Anthony Davis, LeBron James coming to town, and I'll, I think we're going to get to the schedule later. But like, depending on who's in the, the schedule afterwards, like we're going to go on another nine game winning streak. We're going to go on another twelve and three stretch, and we're going to probably build up another two three games in the standings again. Like that wouldn't, that's the most likely scenario to me. Um, just the Sixers aren't losing a lot of games either right now. So like no. they're going to hang around. I believe you though. Like my confidence in the, the long-term goals of this team glad. haven't wavered at all, but that doesn't make this any less disappointing mm. and devastating. And I feel well, like I've said yeah. that exact sentence so many times on post-game podcasts so far this season. It's, uh, it's getting, getting sad. Well, I think again, what's what's really like hard to wrap your head around is like because they do they do multiple games in a row, like three game stretch here. It's like you know nine games in a row where we saw them do it night in, nine out, tough wins, grinding out, missing guys, back to backs, and then in spots like tonight where you're at home, you've got your guys like you match up really well and like well enough. Obviously, like they don't have guys for Jason. Um, the double big lineup was killing them at times. Um, it's like if they were able to, you know, win seven games in a row, then lose one, and then they get back on the horse again. Mm-hmm. That's more easy to wrap your head around because it's just it's just one game that pops up. But we we have these stretches that seem to last multiple games, two weeks even, um, where you, you can start to talk yourself into maybe these guys aren't actually that good. Um, and then the next game is the beginning of the stretch where they look like the best team in the league again. So you you got to ride the waves. The absence of Marcus Smart is quietly devastating. Yes. I think that's not a hot take. I think people are feeling that. Clearly, the team is feeling that. He's such a big rally the troops guy. We've seen it so many times where he calls these little mid-game huddles, gets the guys together mid-court, and, and sort of is the catalyst for a turnaround that we might need. And can't help but think the injection of some smart energy in this one would have been just enough to get us over the hump, despite the lackluster defense for the majority of the game. Spoonie had a good a good call out with a stat during our playback stream that the offense is plus five with Marcus Smart on the court throughout the course of what is now a 50-game season. So that's a significant sample size. Obviously, he's missed some time recently, um, but that's that's just huge. What are you what's your sense there? I know, you know, Derek White's your mistress, you know, where I was sort of in a, a love-hate relationship. <laughs> Thank you, Big Task and Hand for your inputs. We got a uh, mixed comment trolling us in the chat Cle- here. Clearly, that's all right. We, we appreciate yeah. your engagements. It's helpful for us. So you may think you're trolling us, but you're actually helping us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what's, your, what's your take on, on Smart's absence? Because the, we've been heralding the depth of this team and that we've, you know, people are going to have missed time. Marcus Smart's missing time currently. Well, that's okay. We've got Derek White. We've got Big Brogger. We've got Peyton Pritchard. And yet, like, neither of those guys really delivered in this game. So, what are, you, are you feeling a sense of urgency to get Smart back despite the depth? Yeah. Tonight is one of those games where you, you miss the, the heart and soul, the love and the trusted 
Marcus Smart, as much as good as he is on defense, like maybe you know we get one of those um, you know those Tommy points, Marcus diving into the crowd, saving a saving a loose ball. But you know, offensively, this the stagnation just is far less frequent when Marcus Smart is on the court. Like he gets people going. We can we can go to the, the Marcus Tatum pick and roll. That's like unstoppable without that in the it felt like they were they just didn't have something they could go to to like we were talking about it while watching the game we didn't this was the first run of the of the game was the fourth quarter we had one we had the early run where we all were like this is probably a bad sign they've made five threes in a row they're not going to play any defense and that's what happened and we had to wait until the fourth quarter to finally string some stops together get out and run Go go to some of your your go to plays, your go to sets that um, getting Tatum to the line, getting those things that you know um, get you moving in a positive direction. And Marcus Smart's so good at like setting the table, being the captain of the offense. That yeah, you're gonna miss you're gonna miss guys. Um, you're gonna miss you like your your heart and soul is gonna gonna be missed eventually. Was what this is the fourth game in a row, or three and a half game now where we've um. Well, we haven't had him and you start to feel it as things go along. How much of this, like this concern with the, the depth, at least in the, the vacuum of this game. So like early in the fourth quarter, Tatum was out for a period of time. And despite the celebration of, of depth going into the season, yeah. we find ourselves in this like this offensive production bottleneck with Tatum on the bench. Like we're just back in the same position again where like unless Tatum's on the court, despite the depth, we have no production. How much of that is like, I don't want to sound like a Boston talk radio guy, but like how much blame <laughs> is on Jalen Brown for that? Because like he's, he's meant to be, like, he's meant to be filling in those, in those gaps, you know? Yes. Uh, and I'm trying to like quickly look up Marcus's kind of missed games here and which, how many of them we've, we've won. And we've actually fared pretty well in them. Oh, we're slightly above 500 in the games without Marcus. Um, and look, a lot of the, the and Edward Walker in the chat here. Yeah, the Celtics have no excuse to to lose this game. Like they should have won this game. They were four to one favorites. Like they were heavy favorites coming, nine point favorites coming into this game. Everybody believed that they should win this game. They believed it too much. They looked at the betting lines apparently before coming into this one. Um, <laughs> put a couple of bets on. Yeah, maybe. Look, I may have put five bucks on on the Knicks as well because I had a had a feeling. Um, the depth is there, no question. Like they've been able to survive. Like the Raptors game is an example, obviously, of them able being able to to win with it with with depth. Even the Heat game that they lost, you know, you you've got your Peyton Pritchard's playing forty minutes, and you know they're still in it. You know, no Jimmy Butler, but the fact they're still in it with four key guys missing, they've won games this year where it's felt like they've been short, and we've really her- her- heralded the depth. I think the reality is, oh, you're just not going to win all of those games, um, but Tonight, you gotta you gotta put your hand up and just say not good enough. And unfortunately, saying not it, it's not good enough doesn't really help us feel any better. Um, yeah, because they say the right things. They're gonna. I'm gonna go back and watch the post game press conferences after this, and I have no doubt that they were said we have to come out with better intensity. We got to play defense. Um, we like the shots we were getting. Yeah, <laughs> they like yeah, we. Exactly, and Same look, big story. task at hand. Give it to the Knicks. Like they made they made the the Celtics uncomfortable um, throughout the game, and Brunson did. You got you, you got to take these guys seriously. He forced forced the man right. Forced the man right. He's so good with his left hand and getting to his spots, pull ups, like around the rim, floaters. It's tough. 
Yeah, and again, Marcus Smart should be able to win this game without him. Even if we were yes. missing another of our guards, you'd think we still have the tools necessary to win this game. But Smart is exactly the kind of guy you need on Jalen Brunson when he gets cooking like that. Um, unfortunate. Yes. Am I afraid of the Knicks in any sort of potential playoff series? I mean, absolutely not. Will the Knicks even get to the playoffs? That like, is a good question. Possibly unlikely. You know, they're, they're battling for playing position. So this win certainly helps them uh, in their own little independent battle of, of relevance, which is a, an ongoing story for the New York Knicks. But uh, I digress. Yeah, no, if, I'm, yeah, if I'm ranking teams from the Heat, Knicks, Hawks, Pacers, Wizards kind of down, like the Knicks are kind of relatively high on that list, you know, teams that I would feel comfortable you know, taken down in four or five games oh, in yeah. the playoffs. A thousand percent. Um, yeah, no question. I guess transitioning to some individual performances, like we can talk about other aspects of the game and I've got a, a li- nice laundry list of things to get to, but they all kind of feel irrelevant like, given the result. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even want to talk about any of the key moments like Derek White's huge three early in overtime, mm-hmm. the Brunson and one, they got called on the floor where like the game could have been over much sooner had he gone to the line as well as getting that bucket. The Tatum take to the paint, he drew contact, that layup that went all the way around oh, the rim, hit everything except for the bottom of the cup. And then, you know, I mentioned it uh, to open the show, but RJ Barrett, and it wasn't like a game-winning bucket, but his three, you know, sort of put it out of reach ultimately for the Celtics. That was particularly devastating uh, given the history there. What if I told you, though, that Robert Williams, <laughs> in a game that we lost by three, and a game where Grant Williams finished a minus 18, Derek White oh. finished a minus 10, that Robert Williams finished a plus 21. Like, I'm at the clutching at straws portion of the show now, Jake, where I'm trying to, like, like capture a nugget of optimism that I can sort of <laughs> walk away from the computer with and feel good about myself. Is there anything to glean from that plus 21 from, from the time? Oh, no question. I think, like, Rob and Marcus, when those guys are on the court, the Celtics are freaking unstoppable. Um, the, the, the tricky thing with Rob is... Um, Speaking, th- we even got a moment where early in the game he catches a lob and he like, does he tweak his back on 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 that play? I, I is the conditioning the issue? I'm like at the point where I'm like, Rob, dude, you gotta you gotta be conditioned at this point. You've been back for two months now um, playing NBA basketball. Like, if you're not pretty close to how fit you're going to be, how realistic is it that you're going to be able to play more than than 35 minutes in the playoffs? Probably not. That being said, he played 35 minutes tonight and was pretty impactful in, it felt like, um, most of them, which I think is actually a very positive sign um, for his continual ramp up. Like, they're starting to test the boundaries of what Rob can do. And what he can do is play 35 minutes, be a plus 21. We saw bits of it today. And if you watched, I watched the Grizzlies-Warriors game last night, and they get so many points of Draymond Green in the high post at the three-point line. Um, and teams are really guarding Steph and Clay off pin downs, trying to get the ball at, around the three-point line. And they go back door and they get so many layups. And Jason and Jalen are better at the rim finishing than than Clay and Steph. They need to make that more of their offense. Mm-hmm. Like, because one of the go-to plays is, you know, getting Jalen coming off the pin down and then going downhill. But teams are playing them, you know, overplaying them. Uh, and they got a couple of them going tonight. What did Rob have today? Only two assists. It felt like he should have had way more than that. That needs to become something that uh, they go to more often uh, because it's there for them. It's there to generate easy buckets. And like part of the issue why the defense was bad was like they, they couldn't score half the time. So they're getting cross-matched. 
you know, the wrong guys match up with Randall and yep. Brunson, who both are guys that can take advantage of you know mismatches. And when you're not scoring, that's when you end up with cross matches in transition. Um, Got to utilize Rob more efficiently, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It did feel like the the seams for Jalen yeah. and Jason to make cuts were quite uh, tight, like quite limited. And so while while Rob is extremely good at finding guys cutting, you know, like those forty five angle like slot drives mm. when he's got the ball at the top of the post, he's he's generally good at finding the Jays or, or Derek White or anyone really cutting from that uh, angle. The, the Knicks did a really good job, to their credit, of of cutting off. Uh, those passing lanes and, and limiting Rob's potential from from that perspective, and also limiting the potential for the Jays to to finish at all or get good looks in the paint. And I think Tatum did a really good job later in the game of overcoming that and finding ways to get in the paint, uh, utilizing his spin move quite frequently to get advantageous looks and positions in the paint. Jalen did not. We saw a couple of those familiar like mid range jumpers that went down that used to be cash money. Felt like just yesterday, and like suddenly. At the same time, I can't remember when the last one went in with any sort of regularity. Um, credit the Knicks defense, I suppose, in, in tightening up the defense around the paint there and, and sort of putting the Celtics in a, in a bit of a stranglehold. Uh, we do have some post-game comments that are emerging here on uh, Celtics Reddit. I'll rattle off a few for you, Jake, and, and let me know yeah. what stands out to you. Joe Mazzulla, <laughs> quote, I love you, Jalen. I believe in you. <laughs> That's one. Uh, another one here. So this is uh, from Jalen Brown post-game, quote, I've just got to be better, to be honest. Tonight was just a rough game. I'm a better basketball player than I played today. Uh, he said the two free throws embodied his game tonight, which I think is is probably fair. So, any of those uh, post-game comments stick out to you? I think maybe the self-awareness from Jalen Brown is maybe the, the key takeaway there. I, well, I, he always says this after he has a bad game. <laughs> True. Like, yeah, he's like, I, I was bad and I'm better. And he is better. Like Again, some, it's just tricky with the Jalen Lowe's it's like when he's not scoring efficiently, I thought the defense, well, again, once they cranked up the defense, I thought he was really good. Um, he, only, he only had, oh, actually, that's the first quarter, one turnover. Um, how many turnovers did he have as well? Three turnovers. That's actually, you live with the Jalen three turnovers in a game like this, but you can't be going eight for 22. Um, and there was, a, I think, was it the third quarter? I don't know. There was a stretch where there were three possessions in a row. It was a Jaden, you know, Jalen missed, turn around. It was a pull up three, zero pass possession. And then the three, the third possession, he attacked, got to the rim, missed a shot that he usually made. But again, it was a, a zero pass possession. And I feel like what he was pressing and the low, and the low Jalen, it's like, get, they dig myself out of this, this funk and often leads to a deeper hole. And that was an example of what happened tonight. Wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all if we get the reverse. You know, Jalen often bounces back from these games in a big way, um, sure. a Lakers game. And, you know, he's had the adductor thing where he missed a couple games and then he came back, he missed the Magic, he missed the Heat game. And so Jalen finding his rhythm, I think, is kind of key for him playing well. Yep. So hopefully, yeah, finds it against the Lakers. Yeah, we've said it before. He's such a feel-based player. Yeah. And if he's not feeling it, then the production is just not there. And maybe part of it is as a as a team, as a coaching staff, as his teammates, is like trying to. And you'd think maybe they'd have this down pat after now years, what seven years of of him being on the Celtics, <laughs> six or seven years. But like understanding like the trigger points for for Jalen Brown and understanding what like gets him into the groove in terms of feeling the game and and making him be his best self because it it is very variable as far as like what Jalen Brown we're going to see on the court every night, which again sounds like a talk radio cliche, but it's true. 
Um, I feel like, you know, we could, we could keep breaking down the game, but it's not a lot of fun <laughs> to do no. that because oh, it, was, yeah. it was not very fun in the end. So before we move on, any final takeaways on this one, whether it be you know, strategy on either side or individual performances, like I know Hauser went 50% from three. Hey, like, can we, can we that was that nice or? to see. Yeah, he went two for two and then just was yeah. a mess again. Uh, Landon Legs, what up? Good to see you back. Um, Brogdon deserves just as much poop as Jalen oh, yeah. will receive yeah. for today. It's a great he was call a tr- out. awful, and I feel like Brogdon skates when he has bad games, like zero free throw attempts. Um, another, you know, what do you have? Only one turnover today. Um, but yeah, four for fourteen. Yeah. Uh, like that's what you're what you're there for. And again, he was part of the stagnation of the offense. So um, again, I don't want to go too hard on Brogdon, maybe with the personal reasons. We don't actually know what the issue um, there was. And I think Joe, we 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 have to get him on the like the leave Tatum in with Brogdon thing, like match those minutes up, let Jade play more of the first quarter and get his rest somewhere else in the game. Cause it's just starting to feel like we're we're letting these Tatum Tatum starts, get away from us. The the Brogdon Tatum minutes are just so much better. Um so that's like so Joe's gotta gotta start doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Pretty poor performance there from Malcolm Brogdon. Absolutely. Grant Williams, maybe at least as far as the plus minus goes, the poorest performance in this game. Can I ask the forbidden question? Are you considering dangling Grant Williams in trade talks at this point of the season? I almost, I feel sick. I've got, I can taste vomit in the back of my mouth even just <laughs> asking the question, Jake. But where are you at with that? Like, If, if, it, if it's part of a conversation for someone like OG mm-hmm. and a bunch of picks going out from the Celtics, are you... Are you not hanging up the phone if that's brought up? Oh, um, I did see a a Grant Pritchard Gallinari kind of trade with a couple other little salad fillers. Yeah, yeah. I think with this team being so close to a title, look, it's a hard. It depends. Trip. Is is it going to be two first round picks, both of them unprotected? Um, it's a lot to pay for OG, but at the same time, he's so consistent. He's been a player that can, you know, you know, be on a team that's won a title. Um, defensively, he is a top 10 defender in the NBA, no question. Defensive player of the year candidate. Um, if the Raptors had actually been able to string a better season together, he's a guy that's going to be in that conversation. A non-big that can legitimately get in the deep point conversation, which we love here in Boston. Um, and I think, you know, as a guy that, you know, as a team that has these days where they, they let the defense slip away, he's a guy that's not going to let that happen. And, you know, he can be a catalyst for getting stops and then getting them out in transition and kind of getting the offense back on track. You have to think about it. I think Brad's going to be talking about it. If Grant's, you know, coming up for a contract. Um, that being said, Grant's contract's looking pretty palatable versus um, what we were feeling earlier in the year. Like, I was kind of worried it was going to be in the 18-ish range. Um, I would be very surprised if, if the season ended today. He's not getting – he's not even getting the $16 million left over from Horford's deal, I don't think. Yeah. Um, that being said, he, he he's a playoff guy. Um, the versatility, three-point shot. Um, he just seems to be in a bit of a funk right now. So, if he can break out of it, you know, the conversation is different, but the trade deadline is like two and a half weeks away. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah, it's just so that it's such a pressured moment because 
or a situation rather because of the the rapidly approaching trade deadline. It's like I can imagine the front office to some degree pulling their hair out, wanting to make sure they make the right moves if they're made available to them, you know, prior to this this trade deadline that's rapidly approaching. Then again, like you said, you kind of want to rest on your laurels there and just wait for Grant to cook in the playoffs as he's he's known to do. So tough. I, I also feel like before we move on, you know, if we haven't talked about it enough already, we should just talk about Jason Tatum's game and that it was oh, quite, yeah. quite solid. You know, it's the, I guess the reason we never leave with this stuff is we're just fortunately it's, we have the luxury of having grown to expect it. You know, got to the line nine times, hit all of his free throws, uh, mm-hmm. disappointing lack, like long stretches of seemingly not going to Tatum. We were talking about in our playback stream, Jacob, he got the ball late and started to cook late in the game. And our first remark was like, well, that's, it feels like he hasn't had the ball in a long time. Yeah, where's this been? Because clearly, like, the success rate there when you go to him frequently and find him on offensive possessions, it's like he cooks, he gets buckets. Obviously, that's not sustainable. You can't go to him on every possession of a game. But, you know, we all had a sense of where this game was going. Uh, it was going down the toilet. And in that sense, you, you kind of want to get to Tatum earlier in a game and let him cook earlier to turn this one around sooner. I don't know. Any takeaways from Tatum's performance other than it was just stellar again? Yeah, just a casual 35-14-4 steel block. Yeah. Like, you know, he's probably number two in the MVP conversation. Uh, And it's nights like this where it's kind of just, this is how it goes. And the fact that that's where we're at with Jason Tatum is, and I'm probably get to it with him being named all-star starter, but um, they have to, as good as Jalen is, like you have to have the self-awareness to get him the ball. It has to be everybody... Like, let's get Tatum the ball in the good spots because he there was no one on the Knicks and there is no one on the Knicks that can that can handle Tatum. Um, man, he, he was just – I loved his game-winner attempt. Um, so much separation. He's been making a lot more mid-rangers this year. Like, I really like that he didn't go to the step-back three. You know, obviously we only needed the two. Um, I really like that he took a step in and, and he was wide open. Just um, And it went in and out. He was – no, he's that close. He's only 24. And he, he, feels like a, he feels like a vet. Like he feels like a savvy vet, super yeah. reliable, on, on the same tier as Al Horford in terms of just like comfort and reliability with what they give the game. And yet he's like, what, 12 years younger than him. It's, it's crazy. insane. Yeah. <sighs> the move that he's developed, like the nine free throws, like getting in the post and not just like, you know, getting the layups or finding guys, but yeah, they're getting that, they're, they're grifting. It's like yeah. it's just not something he had before, and now that he's gotten so strong, um, it's just it's, it's a very important development. Like he's just when things are breaking down, he can go to that and fe- and, and it's like he's he's starting to figure out the balance between okay, I'm actually going to get a foul, or if I go for this move, is going to be an awful floater. It feels like he's really fine tuning how good he's getting at that that feel when it comes to drawing the free throws. So um, just yeah. more good from Tatum. Yeah, and make no mistake, like that level of grifting acumen in the playoffs doubles in its value because of how uh, frequent half-court offense is compared to transition and just how the game slows down. So, uh, looking forward to that. Uh, I mean, yeah, I I don't know if I'm emotionally ready for the playoffs yet based on the ebbs and flows of the season, (laughs) but we've got a little bit of time to prepare ourselves. We've got an all-star break coming up. And speaking of which, the all-star voting Mm. results are in. We've got the starters from both conferences. So, starting with the West here. Jake, let me know if there are any surprises or any um, snubs or any omissions mm-hmm. that were notable to you. But LeBron James is the captain again, which is just insane and another insane. notch on the, the very long belt of LeBron James in his career. Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, 
Nikola Jocic, and you talked about the MVP race and Tatum maybe being firmly in number two. The gap between one and two is yes. absolutely insane. Like he, he will not catch Jokic unless he misses significant no. time. And then Zion Williamson, who um, I thought that was maybe a little surprising that given surprised. how much time he's missed uh, so far this season. Any, any surprises there other than Zion for you, Jake? Yeah. Um, personally, I would have had both Shea in for a st- it, The tricky thing is the van vote has such an impact on the starters. Um, and so like Steph and Zion missing half a year doesn't the, the fans that are voting don't care as much. I would have had Shea and Sabonis over Zion and Steph. I feel like they deserved it more. But, um, you know, this, yeah, the gap between one and the rest of the team of the MVP field is is pretty wide right now. Yeah, absolutely. Moving over to the Eastern Conference All-Star starters. Giannis is the captain again. Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant. Let's go. Kyrie Irving. Donovan Mitchell, you'll note the absence of Jalen Brown's mm. name in the starters there. But looking at those names, obviously at the guard spot, Kyrie Irving, as much as we hate him, let's be honest, like he's been good <laughs> on the court this season, certainly not off the court. Donovan Mitchell has been incredible. Uh, so this this looks about right to me. Would you have made any adjustments to this starting five? Yeah, Indeed, I would perhaps? probably have had yeah, someone else in for, for Kyrie, whether it was Garland, Halliburton, um, Brunson, even honestly, uh, I, I liked I liked Halliburton for this spot. Yeah, you know, but yeah, I think I think there'll be some people saying today, yeah, that's why Jalen Brown's not an All Star starter because uh, didn't exactly play like one tonight. Well, if you're a Sixers fan, and beyond the yeah. pity that I personally have for you, just in general, uh, you're thinking, okay, that's weird. There's no like typical center. On this, on this starting five here, you've got to be feeling the sting of that, like that the league has kind of snubbed you a little bit, right? Yes, this is probably the best part of the day is that yeah. Embiid now is percent. no longer an all- all-star starter as well. Tatum has now taken over his spot there um, as he's taken all of his valuable playoff winning experience as well. Beautiful. The fact that Tatum now is a four-time all-star, is this the second time or third time he's been an all-star starter? I think it's the he second won- but yeah. that's just going I off the think top it's of my two head. As well. Yeah. But the fact that he's four starters, four all-stars already at age 24, which means it literally like he's going to he's going these is one of these guys. Four all-stars already. He's going to make a third te- he's a third all-NBA this year. He was in he was either fifth or sixth in the MVP race last year. He's going to be in the top 3 4 5 again the MVP race this year. Like as you know, as much as we all want to win a title this year, how you win a title is with a guy that is consistently a top five NBA player. Um, that's who wins NBA titles. And we have one of those players, whether it's going to be this year, next year, the next five years. We have one of those guys and it's it's great. It's really fantastic. Yeah. The only thing that's in his way as far as being considered a better Celtic or player than Paul Pierce is just tenure. He just needs to stick it out for another few years. Obviously, ideally win a championship, but as far as just like individual player skill sets, I don't want to underrate Pierce because he was like a master at like getting in the paint and getting to the line. And then the the spin, mid-range, jump shot, counter move, like I I, I must not understate that, but like clearly Tatum is on a path to to a higher ceiling than, than what Pierce was ever able to achieve as a Celtic. Yeah, obviously legend and you know, one of Pierce's greatest things, he probably makes that shot tonight that Tatum missed. Yeah. Um, like that 100%. was like, it was money, money. You knew, you know, the the Al Harrington clip 
comes to mind as well, right? Like mm-hmm. Pierce, Pierce was so confident in his ability in those spots um, to knock down big shots. Uh, yeah, and I think Tatum's behind him for sure in, in that regard. But as far as players go, I think when you look at the two-way stuff, um, the ceiling of some of Tatum's offensive outputs, like the 50-point games and um, stuff like that that he pulls out consistently, I think it's okay to say that as far as just like players on a basketball court, Tatum's probably already kind of better than Pierce was. Um, but as far as greatest Celtics of all time goes, he's probably still behind Pierce. And uh, yeah. in order to t- for Tatum to go ahead, he's either going to need to stick around for another, you know, six, eight, ten years or win a title. Um, as soon as Preferably Tatum wins both. a title, he, he le- yeah, I preferably he's here forever um, and wins multiple titles. But as soon as Tatum wins a title in the Celtics uniform, that's going to be the thing that leapfrogs him like, easily as far as like not just best player but greatest celtic yeah and someone who was a huge fan of those pierce ray allen kg and oh, man, yeah. celtics teams was danilo gallinari who according to adam taylor at celtics blog who i believe was aggregating someone else in this report <laughs> that danilo gallinari wants to return from injury <laughs> this season uh you know i'm not, I'm not going to read the entire article but it seems like he has a sense within himself that he could return prior to the postseason, and then play for the Celtics in the postseason. Jake, do you think that's likely? Do you think that it would be a positive for the Celtics if you think about his age, the particular injury that he had, and the obviously necessary ramp up that anyone needs coming back from an injury like that? Like, do you, I suppose it's the best way to ask the question. Would you rather not trade Gallinari and, and hang on the chance of him coming back and, and contributing or trade him on whatever value there is at his potential to come back, you know, later in the season too for another team. Yeah, it's um, it's just one of those things. If the right deal presents itself, like if like a really like you know a positive wing opportunity presents itself, I think you kind of you can't risk the idea that he's going to come back and and he's going to be slow to start, and you're going to have to try and work him in. Um, because it does happen to guys. I'm just trying to. I was trying to look up like when Joe Ingles tore his ACL because I think there's a perfect, um, perfect symmetry between like the types of guys tearing their ACLs. Like there's the Jamal Murrays who tear their ACL and come back and have a slow start, and I think that's largely to do because so much of their production was based off their ability to get separation and be athletic. Um, versus Joe Ingles has been really good for the Bucks since coming back from his ACL, and that's because he was never athletic and there was never a point where he was busting dudes because he was blowing past them or an elite defender. And Gallinari feels, feels that exact same description. Like Gallinari hasn't moved in like seven years. And so um, if he's able to get up and down the court and be 6'10 and knock down threes, he's the type of guy when who tears their ACL, who's going to be able to do it. Um, even the same age profile as Ingles. So like it's right there. Um, foreigners, Tough, you know. Um, I, I we only yeah. Oh, Danilo. I want to sing that song, please, Gallinari. Yes. <laughs> oh, please, Delinari. Oh, Delinari. Um, yeah. Look, it's an unknowable kind of question. I think right now, yeah. but um, they they Put you in a fat spot. Yeah, but like, he seems to be progressing, and so like Joe Ingles did his February first, twenty twenty two, and came back like a month ago. So. We're kind of getting there, you know? Yeah. So, uh, More gold from Joey Maz. This was tweeted out by Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Uh, Joe Mazzulla was asked, 
Danilo Gallinari wanting to return from a torn ACL before the end of the season. Quote, <laughs> I saw him jogging on the treadmill <laughs> and I was like, I haven't seen you run much faster than that in a game. So, I thought he was playing tonight. <laughs> it was yeah. uh, on the 24th of January. So, like, what, five days ago? Yes. Less. I, um, yeah, I, did, I did see that. And Joey, Joe Mazzulla is like the king of delivering jokes with a straight face. Like, yeah. you, you read it and it's hilarious and you watch it and it's like, you look very angry delivering that joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's. Huge yeah. fan. I think. Um, I look. So how far? When did he do it? It was. It was like July or, or no August when he did the ACL. Mm-hmm. So we're getting what we're you know we're six months. March is pretty much around the time when Joe Ingles Arctic you know came back as well. So yeah, and it's that's a really what, yeah. Yeah, and so like what we what we need from Gallo is like just knock down threes, and one of the things he's so good at as well is just backing down small defenders. Um, and when you talk about confidence, Danilo, he's not a guy that goes through like extended shooting slumps. Like he's gonna find ways. He gets himself to the line. Like he's you know for someone that wasn't playing that much, he was still getting you know really high free throw rate. So I hope he's gonna comes back. I think like he really fits what this team needs. It's just. His knee doesn't work right now. Well, and defensively, I don't know if he was ever going to play himself beyond the second round of the playoffs anyway. So, like, can he come back and contribute, give us, you know, 12 minutes yeah. a night for the first couple of rounds, maybe lighten the load on the Jays so they can do their thing in later rounds of the playoffs? Now I'm getting ahead of myself. We don't even know what's <laughs> happening with this guy. It's all speculation. <laughs> we should move on just to wrap up this podcast. Uh, the upcoming schedule for the Celtics is a little tough leading up to the All-Star break. This was game 50 of the season. There's nine games remaining now until the All-Star break. Seven of them are home games, but it is a difficult schedule. Uh, just to rattle it, off, rattle it off very quickly, we're playing the Lakers, Nets, and Suns at home, then away for the Pistons, then back home for the Sixers, Hornets, and Grizzlies, then on the road for the Bucks, and they're looking pretty good again. They've got Middleton and Giannis back healthy. That's going to be a tough game. And then... I believe last year the Pistons were the last team that we played before the All Star break as well. We learned and, in. and that that was a, a pretty terrible outcome. Also, obviously different teams on both ends this year, but um, very reminiscent of what was a, a poor end before the All Star break last <laughs> season. Jake, like, how do you? Well, I, I guess we, we talked about like the, the way that the season has played out so far. It's been like really good stretches of like you know we just saw a nine game winning streak. Then like a little pocket of misery, which is where we are. Like if you're looking yep. at a map of this team, like you are here yep. in the pocket of misery. Uh, <laughs> do, do you see us sort of? Exp- I know this is a tough question to answer, but like how do you how do you see this stretch before the All Star break uh, going for the team, given the challenges there? <laughs> yeah, no. Last year was hilarious. It was like right as the turnaround, people were like, "Oh, it's kind of a soft schedule. They're winning a lot of games," and people had started to believe. Like I remember Zach Lowe have released like. The Celtics are great in every podcast. And like the day he released that, they lost the Pistons. Yeah. Before the, yeah. And <laughs> it, it, it was like, yeah, it was a classic. It was the most classic Celtics thing. It was like, we're going to enjoy our time on the All Star break. Everything's fine. We're going to listen to these podcasts. Gonna, dopamine's going to go right into my brain. But no, we can't have nice things for too long. The good news is the Lakers aren't very good. We always play them awesome. Big ABC game. This one would honestly surprise me if they didn't at least turn up and play hard. Like they can, like you know, it's one game; anything can happen. Um, it would really surprise me if they don't like really 
turn up, which would lead me to think they win because the Lakers aren't very good. Anthony Davis's first game back was yesterday, uh, and he played like 21 minutes, came off the bench. So it'll be interesting to see um, what they do with AD. They will have had two days rest because um, they were the, were the first game on their road trip. Um, we're going to get the Nets without KD. I've heard nothing about Devin Booker um, coming back soon, so which would lead me to believe we're not going to get the Suns with Booker, um, so which is really good. And then it's like Pistons, we always beat the Sixers. Hornets, we always beat the Grizzlies. We always beat the Bucks and the Pistons. It does sound like another nine-game winning streak when I put it that way, um, but we could also just like, lose two more in a row. So. <laughs> The just looking at the the schedule and then the small amount of travel they do have to do, like again, not never been associated with an NBA team or player in any way, but very little travel involved. So the flight to Detroit, not a long flight. Um, you know, it's it's sort of Midwest, but it's what a two three hour flight there from Boston. Uh, same with Milwaukee. Uh, it's what close to Chicago in that that Illinois area, Wisconsin. Not a long flight there from Boston. Those are the only two travel games that they need to make and beyond that they're at home so we're seeing a long stretch of like the comforts of home and then like day trips right to these neighboring or close by cities it's not like you know these long uh road trips that we've seen that have coincided with the dips for for the celtics so far this season so they're not particularly threatening away games and then of all the games for the celtics to get up for because we've always seen them rise to the occasion so far this season. And, you know, historically for the Celtics too, the Bucks, Giannis on the road. Yeah. You know, like that's a game to get up for. So as I'm saying this, I'm like, we have talked ourselves into oh, every yeah. schedule, upcoming schedule review. We're always like, I don't know, Tedano, whatever. Like we could, all these <laughs> games are winnable because it's true. They, they could yeah. absolutely win all of these games. Um, I think, and, yeah. and because of the pattern for the games that they've lost, it's, it's so hard to predict, but it's always fun to review. Yeah, so there's nine games. Let's say they go six and three, and they three games that they lose are to the Pistons twice and the Hornets. That seems like something that the Celtics would do. Yeah, lose the Hornets <laughs> games, lose the Pistons games. Yeah, yeah, and beat all the contenders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Anything else you want to touch on, Jake? Before we wrap this up, I think it's, this is a, a safe space to uh, to wrap this one up, talking about uh, a winning future for the Celtics as opposed to the immediate losing past that we just witnessed. <laughs> no, I just I really like yeah, and Landon's called it out. You've 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 nailed it. The pocket of misery. Um, it's a good way because you know when when things are going bad in your life, having a way to label them um, and just associate yourself in a way is really helpful. So we're in a pocket of misery. Just understand that this is life. Things happen. It doesn't mean anything. We're just in a pocket of misery. It will end just like everything else in this world. Yeah. Well, let's leave it there in the pocket of misery. That is going to do it for this one. We'll be back on Sunday night, roughly 24 hours after the Lakers game, which please God, can we win this game and and enter the the pocket of joy. Uh, Thanks to all of our listeners. We really appreciate you. Jake, love your work, mate. Thanks again. Go Celtics. All right. Until next time. Go Celtics. Peace. (laughs)